0: All right, how many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want to ask you to join me, if you will, in First Timothy, in the New Testament tonight, chapter number 2, page number 1275, if you have an old Scofield Bible. And if you'll just open your Bible there and leave it for just a moment, we'll eventually get into this uh, two or three verses of this chapter. And I'd like to share something with you as we continue in these words, great words of the Bible. First Timothy, chapter number 2 you <laughs> And again, please pray for the service this Sunday. And as we open up, we sure want to pray for God's protecting hand to be upon our church and to keep us safe in these days. Boy, we depended on Him. Amen. I thank God for hydrogen peroxide and all that stuff. But I'm telling you, if the Lord don't help us, I mean, we're sunk anyway. You can have all that stuff you want to have. But if God don't help us, we're in a mess. And we got to pray and just ask Him to please protect us in these days. Uh, Greg Hall. Brother Greg is the pastor of Blackhaw. Blackwater Baptist Church up in Ararat, North Carolina. They've been having a revival all week long this uh, this, past, this week. Brother Dwayne Moore was there Monday and Tuesday and tonight. And then tomorrow night, uh, Thursday and Friday night, Brother Seth Sisloff is going to be there preaching. And uh, so that's on an all-week-long meeting as you think about that, please pray for them, and then if you can go and be a part of it, I know Brother Greg would sure love to see you uh, up at Blackwater Baptist Church. And then Sunday morning, our new nurseries are going to be opening up. Uh, they'll be open, so we'll no longer use these two rooms. These will be converted back into Sunday school rooms, and this coming Sunday, when you walk in the glass doors, uh, that's where you'll uh, bring your children to, through the new glass doors out front, and bring them right into the nursery. Now, if you have infants, you'll want to come come up the hall and enter the infant nursery that away. But if you had toddlers, you know, one, two-year-old toddlers, you'll want to use the glass doors, the new glass doors. There'll be some kiosk out front, maybe some computers there where you can check your child in. And this will eventually uh, work so you can just check them in from your phone. And when you get near the church here, you'll be able to just put your information in. They'll spit a ticket out. Those uh, machines will spit you a ticket out. You can drop your kid off in there. We're going to eventually get it where we'll come to your house and pick them up and to bring them down here. And so I'm kidding about that. But uh, it's going to be very convenient. It's also very, very uh, tech savvy, whatever, you know, if you know all that stuff, man, you're going to be right. And most of the young people do, you know. I still write checks. You know, I still carry cash. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all still do that before. I'm scared to death of them cards. But uh, uh, this is how how we'll do it now. Not me. I don't have children no more. I mean, I do, but they're grown. So you'll just come in the doors, immediately turn right there. The new nurseries will be open. They are not finished yet. We have a lot of other stuff we're going to be adding to that, but they will be functional it brand new. You're going to love those new nurseries. And uh, somebody maybe out front will explain all that to you in case you don't get it. And once you check them in that first time, you'll be able to do it from your phone going forward. And uh, that'll just expedite the process all the more. So man, what about that? You can't do that Chick-fil-A. You can't do that at Walmart, but you can over here at Woodland. You can check them in from the car. Yes, sir, just drop them off and drive away as fast as you can. Uh, you can get it done. You know, somebody said, you know, when it comes to children, said so their favorite thing about children is to follow the, the, the directions on the back of a bottle of aspirin. Take two aspirin and keep away from children. And that's good advice if you have children, isn't it? And uh, somebody said this, said, when you get teenagers in your family, you kind of understand why some of the animals eat their young. shut up. Okay, let's get started. Let's pray. We better pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in church tonight. I pray you'd help us as we work through some more of these great words from our Bible. I pray you'd bless our time together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you think back to recent Wednesday night services when I've been here, you may recall that we're currently in a series of messages that I've entitled Bible Words That Every Child of God Should Know. And it's simply, as the title suggests, what we're doing is we're emphasizing various words of the Bible, great words of the Bible that we, as God's people, ought to be familiar with as we live out these last days. Now, we know God wants us and desires for us, those that are saved, Uh, to be familiar with the Bible, to have a working knowledge of the Bible. You know, it's amazing how many people have been saved for years and years and years, and yet they still don't know what is, or as the case may be, what is not contained in the Bible. Now, there's two problems with that. Number one, sometimes that's the preacher's fault. You know, we have a lot of preachers anymore that, that preaches everything but the Bible. And, uh, you know, people don't get the Bible when they come to church. And, man, people are so so in our day, so enthralled with being entertained when they come to church. We've kind of just pushed the Bible over to the side. And sad but too, we're, uh, true, we're, ra- we're raising up a generation of Christians and believers that don't know what the Bible has to say. And much of that can be laid at the foot of the pulpit. we got preachers that aren't preaching the Bible. But then sometimes the problem is not with the pulpit. Sometimes the problem's with the pew because people just don't listen. They come to church and then they tune the preacher out. Their mind is on everything uh, that's going on other than what's going on in the house of God. I remember years ago when I pastored down at Walters Grove. I preached a series back in those days in the mid-80s and early 90s. You know, really one of the things that we were fighting a lot was the, uh, was the uh, charismatics. You know, the speaking in tongues and all that stuff. So uh, when I first went there as the pastor, I preached several Sunday nights a series of messages that I entitled The Charismatic Confusion. And what I did was try to go through the Bible and teach our people what the Bible had to say on the subject of speaking in tongues. Now, I did that for several Sunday nights. Well, about a week or so after that, a lady who comes to every church or uh, every service, or at least she she did when I was there, she came up to me about a week or so later and she said, Preacher, can I ask you a question? I said, Sure. She said, What does the Bible say about speaking in tongues? Now, you talk about deflating to a young preacher, that was deflating. All those weeks going through the Bible, talking about that, but she had tuned me Now Can I borrow a phrase from the Lord Jesus himself? Here's what Jesus said about all that. He said this right here, If any man have an ear, let him hear. How many of y'all got ears? You know, we need to listen when we come to church. Can I tell you something? Listening to the preaching from the pulpit, the teaching from the, uh, from the uh, podium in Sunday school, and the preaching from the uh, pulpit in church will save you a lot of trouble in your life. Uh, man, it'll keep your marriage together. It'll keep you from making a mess out of your life if you won't tune out what's being preached from the Bible. If any man have an ear, let him hear. Uh, my daddy, back in the early 70s, maybe, maybe mid to late 70s, was when that big CB, uh, you know, CB radio craze got going. And every car had a CB, or a lot of them did, had a CB radio on it. And that, my daddy bought us one. And that one of the things I remember them saying on the radio back in those days, hey, so-and-so, you got your ears on? Y'all remember that? Got your ears on? Well, when you come to church, be sure you put your ears on. Because it's one thing to come to church. It's another thing to be in tune with, his, with what is being said in church. So what we're doing is in these days, we're just working our way through the Bible, noticing, pulling out some great Bible words that we need to be familiar with. Now, again, I know, I know that the Bible was written in the Hebrew language, the Old Testament. A few of the chapters of the book of Daniel were actually written in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in, Gre- in the Greek language. I get all that, but we're using our English alphabet for an outline to kind of work through these words. And tonight we approach the letter M. We're all the way to the letter M. And what I want to do tonight is just talk about some great words in our Bible that begin with the letter M. Now, we know right up front we have four books in our Bible that begin with the letter M. Two of those books are in the Old Testament, and two of those books are in the New Testament. The Old Testament books that begin with the letter M are in the minor prophet se- a section of our Old Testament. That is the last 12 books of our Old Testament. You'll find the book of Micah, and you'll also find the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. There are two books in our New Testament that begins with the letter M, and those are the four Gospels, or two of the four Gospels, the historical part of our New Testament, and they are, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. And then we have some very famous people in our Bible whose name begins with the letter M. The first person that we run into in our Bible whose name begins with the letter M is an old boy by the name of Methuselah. How many of y'all remember Methuselah? Oldest man in the Bible, 969 years old. He was the son of old Enoch and God through the birth of Methuselah changed Enoch's life and warned Enoch of the coming flood and the name Methuselah means when he is gone, it the flood will come. First person in the Bible whose name begins with the letter M is Methuselah. We turn over a few chapters we run into an old boy by the name of Manasseh. And Manasseh was one of the two sons of Joseph. He had two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim. The name Manasseh means this. It means to forget or forgetting. You know, everybody in, 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 that's saved by the grace of God ought to have a manessa in your life. If you hang on to all the wrongs that are done to you, you're going to get bitter in life. Can I give you some good advice? I mean, when bad things happen to you, just have some manessas in your life. Just forget about it and move on. Amen. In fact, that other boy, Ephraim, his name means fruitful. And let me tell you something. If you, never, if you don't have a manessa, you're never going to have an Ephraim. If you don't have a forgetting in your life, you'll never have a fruitfulness in your life. Boy, old Joseph had a lot to forget, didn't he? I mean, all that happened to him, but he forgot about it, and God gave him an Ephraim. God made him fruitful. So there's Manasseh. By the way, there's a king in the Bible named Manasseh. He reigned at the longest of any king who reigned over Israel. He reigned for 55 years. Now, you talk about the patience of God. Can I tell you something? Manasseh was the most wicked king in all the Bible. That God said that he was a king over Judah, but he was more wicked than even the kings over Israel, and yet God let that rascal reign for 55 years. You know why? He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any perish. But all. And by the way, Manasseh did get right before he died, and, uh, but he is Manasseh. He is a king in our Old Testament. Then what about Moses? of I mean, you all know Moses. Moses, uh, the old boy that led the nation of Israel, great leader of Israel. Then there's Melchizedek. You say, Melchizedek who? Melchizedek. Melchizedek, he's an Old Testament type of the Lord Jesus Christ. What about Mephibosheth? (laughs) Mephibosheth, oh, Mephi. Mephibosheth, what about Meshach? Remember him? One of those three Hebrew boys that was thrown into the fiery furnace. And then what about Mordecai? All of those Old Testament people who begin with the letter M. When we come across into the New Testament, We have just a few other names. We have Matthew and Mark, obviously. But then I was really a a little bit taken back to find that there are only two other people in our New Testament whose name begins with the letter M. There's Matthias. Matthias was the one that uh, that the disciples grabbed up after Judas betrayed the Lord and killed himself. They grabbed Matthias up and put him in the spot of Judas. And we know that God reserved that spot for the Apostle Paul and not for Matthias. And then there's another old boy in the Bible whose name was Malchus. And old Malchus was a servant of the high priest. He was the one, you remember that night when they come to arrest Jesus, Peter took this sword out and took a swing at him. You remember that? And uh, Malchus looked back and said, you missed. Peter said, turn your head. And when he did, his ear fell off. He missed his head, but he got his ear. His name was Malchus. And then, real fast, we have one archangel in our Bible, mentioned in the New Testament and Old Testament as well, whose name was Michael, the archangel. Now, I don't want to leave the ladies out. We have some great ladies in our Bible whose name begins with the letter M as well. What about Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron? Then there's Michael, the wife of King David. Over the New Testament, we have Martha, the sister of Lazarus. And then, of course, there are seven ladies in our New Testament whose name begins with the letter M, whose name is Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, Mary the sister of Martha and Lazarus, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, Mary the mother of John Mark. to Barnabas. We have a bunch of people in the Bible whose name begins with the letter M. And then what about this? We have some famous places in our Bible that begin with the letter M. What about Mesopotamia? Aren't you glad you're not from Mesopotamia? That's where Abraham was from. That, that, the word means the land of idolatry. That's where Abraham was. There's Midian and Moab. And then what about this famous place, Megiddo? The place where the last battle on this earth will take place. Place all of those famous words. You know what I found out when you look at the words in the Bible begin with the letter M. Most of them are the names of either people or places. I'm telling you, but never fear, I found enough to make a message. Are you ready? Here's some great words that begin with the letter M. First of all, what about this one right here? The word mediator. That's the reason I had you to open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 2 tonight because that word mediator is a good Bible word. Look at what the Bible said here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. It says this, who will have all men. By the way, it's speaking about God our Savior right at the end of verse number 3. So I could really read it like this, God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Now let's stop right there and say, who does God want saved? All men. He doesn't mention just a little group two here or there, not the ones he's just selected. Aren't you glad God made salvation possible for all men? And it's God's will, it is God's plan for all men to be saved. And then verse 4 says, And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one, here's the word, mediator, between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified, In due time. Now, according to Webster's dictionary, the word mediator means a person who attempts to make people who are involved in a conflict come to an agreement. It goes on to say this, a mediator is a go-between. Another definition of the word mediator is this, a mediator is a person who brings two disagreeing sides together. Well, the word mediator is found six times in our Bible. All six times are in the New Testament. You know, really, the word mediator is just another one of those many names that are given to the Lord Jesus. You know, our Lord, our Savior, so multifaceted he he is and he does so many things that not just one word can define him and not just one word can describe him in fact there are many names that Jesus is given in the bible but one of those names is the name mediator he is the mediator between god and man now if you look at this verse this chapter look look if you at verse number 5 really this chapter is a this verse is abundant with truth the first truth we get from verse number five, and you may want to just mark this one, but this verse teaches us number one, there's only one God. Now, that used to be clear in America. So when somebody talked about God, everybody knew who you were talking about. can I tell you something? That's not the case anymore. Not even in America. We are no longer monotheistic. We are now polytheistic. We believe in America in many God. Our culture is becoming more and more like the culture of ancient Athens where there was a God for every purpose and a God for every season of life. In fact, you know when Paul went there in Acts chapter 17 it almost seemed like he was almost overwhelmed by being in such an idolatry place. But they had, because they had a God, I mean lines of God uh, all over the the place of Athens. And and, and the Bible said that as he was working his way down through there, uh, you know he found one God that they had and they said this to the unknown God. And Paul said well that's a good place to start because y'all don't know anything about that one. Let me tell you about the unknown God. Now all these other gods are no gods. There's only one God and he is the God that wants to be our God and the God that wants to be your God. Amen. The Bible Makes it clear there's only one God. Further proof, look at this verse, good verse. Isaiah 50, 45, says this Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I'm God. Read the rest of it with me. Ha, there ain't no more. I know in America when you talk about God, you could be talking about Buddha or you could be talking about Muhammad or whatever. But there's only one God. And by the way, that one God's got a son by the name of Jesus. He can only be approached in the name of his son, Jesus. So you're okay if when you get through with your praying, no matter where you are, if you say in Jesus' name, that means you can approach God on the merits of the shed blood of the Son of God, on the cross of Calvary, on the merits of the name that is above every name, you and I can gain an audience with Almighty God. You can't go up to God and say, Hey, Buddha, he ain't going to listen to you. You can't go up to God and say, Hey, Muhammad, he ain't listening to that. But if you'll go up to God and say, Dear God, in the name of Jesus, God inclines his ear to those who cry out because there's only one God Amen. Only one God. You see, this verse also teaches us there's only one mediator to God. Only one that we can go to and get to God. Now, unlike many religions in our world today who teach that you can go through multiple people and multiple people can act, act as a mediator between us and God, like Catholicism, like uh, Islam and Buddhist and Mormons, among many others, the Bible makes it very clear. And we need to be very clear on the fact that there's only one mediator between God and man. And his name is given to us. His name is Christ Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, Job lamented the fact... Back in his day, with all that was going on in his life, he lamented the fact that he did not have a go between. He did not have a mediator. He did not have someone that could bring him into the presence of God. In fact, here's what he said about it in Job 9, verse 33 Neither is there any daysman, and that word daysman, that's the word mediator. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that he might lay his hand upon us. Both. In our day, we don't have to lament that fact. Thank God we got somebody that can bring us to God, and his name is Jesus. There are two sides there's the holy, righteous, sinless, perfect nature of God, and then, of course, we got us. With all of our flaws and failures and foibles, all of our our sins, ungodliness, friend, there's no way we can get to God by ourselves. But aren't you glad Jesus came into this world and acted as our mediator? And now he and he alone can bring us back sinful humanity, the sinful nature of humanity, and the divine, holy, righteous nature of God can be reconciled, but only through the person of Jesus. He's the mediator. Boy, that's a good Bible word. Thank God for the mediator. He takes us into the presence of God. There's a second good word in our Bible that begins with the letter M. After the word mediator, we run into this word. The word, boy, that's a good one, ain't it? The word mercy. You know that word appears in some form or another 341 times in our Bible. 341 times in our Bible. That, that kind of indicates to me it's a word we ought to be familiar with. We are told that God is both merciful and full of mercy, to which we all ought to say amen and amen. In fact, in the Bible, here are a couple of verses that state this great truth. Look at this one, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. And then we read this, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now, of course, when it comes to God's dealing with us, with humanity, there are four words we need to have down. There's the word vengeance. There's the word justice. Boy, we hear that a lot today, don't we? So we have the word vengeance, the word justice, the word mercy, and the word grace. Those four words describe either how God could have or how God does deal with us. There's the word vengeance. Now, I've been preaching on Calvary for a long time, and I won't do that this coming Sunday, though I'll probably say something about it because it's in my heart and my mind so much right now. But can I just say this? There's the word vengeance. The word vengeance. God could have got vengeance on us because we killed his son. You know what God could have done? When we put God's Son to death on the cross of Calvary, God could have acted in vengeance and settled the score right then and right there vengeance. Or at least God could have got justice. You know what God could have done? are you killed my son? I'm hauling every one of y'all straight into the courtroom of the great white throne judgment. We're going to have a trial and you'll be sentenced for what you've done. Justice. Our world is screaming for justice. What this world needs, friend, is not justice. What this world needs is mercy. I don't know about you, I don't know about you. I don't want justice. I tell you what, give us our justice. We want justice. Justice for so-and-so. Justice for so-and-so, buddy. I'll tell you what, one of these days when the Lord appears, men are going to be so afraid, they're going to be crying to the rocks and to the mountains to fall on them, and they're going to be begging God, not for justice, but for mercy. God could have dealt with us in vengeance. God could have dealt with us in mercy, but I'm uh, in in justice, but I'm glad God rather dealt with us in mercy. You know why you're saved? Because of the mercy of God. Now I know we're saved by grace, but we're saved also because of God's mercy. Let me give you a verse. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his what's the word? Mercy, He saved us. Aren't you glad for the mercy? We're told, somebody's already said that, His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank God for His mercy. Mercy keeps us from getting what we deserve, mercy holds back what we deserve. That's why I, I, almost every day of my life when I come down the road, I say, Oh, God, have mercy on me. I really do. Do you ever pray like that? I, have to, I stay in so much trouble. Oh, I stay in so much trouble. I have so many problems going on around me. I, I'm involved in s- s- so much stuff. and so I, Man, sometimes I don't know if I did what I should have done or if I didn't do what I ought to have done. Man, I just come down the road and say, oh, God. I cried. I was praying last night. Oh, God, have mercy upon me. Lord, don't give me what I deserve. God, give me what I don't deserve. Give me mercy. That's what mercy is. It holds back. It keeps us from getting what we do deserve. And grace, that gives us what we don't deserve. That's the reason this next statement is true. Look at that. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous. Salvation is a gift for the guilty. You didn't earn your salvation. You say, how'd you get it? Mercy and grace. Thank God for Mercy. There's another M word. We've got to hurry. This one's a little bit lengthy. So we have mediator. We have mercy. Watch this one. We have Mark. Now, when I talk about Mark, I'm not talking about a person like John Mark in our Bible who wrote the Gospel of Mark. I'm not talking about that kind of a mark. I'm talking like a sign, a mark. You see, when you go through the Bible especially over in the book of the Revelation, you learn that during the tribulation period that mankind cannot buy or sell unless he has a mark. Now, you got your mind with me? Got to have a mark. In fact, could I tell you some Eight different times in the uh, book of the Revelation, we read about the mark of the beast. The Bible talks about those who have received the mark. Now, let me tell you something. We understand that the predominant player during the tribulation period is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist, the one who is against Christ, the one fueled and backed and filled with the devil, the Antichrist is going to seek to and succeed in uniting the world politically. You see, in the tribulation period, there's going to be a one-world government. He will seek to unite the world Politically, we're pushing toward that right now. We understand, you know, that's where we are heading, a one-world system of government. Then we got a false prophet. And the false prophet then is going to come along, and he's going to seek to and to succeed in uniting the world religiously. There'll be a one-world church. Not only a one-world system of government, there'll also be a one-world church as well. And we're seeing all of that develop right before our very eye. But they're not through yet. Because they're not only going to seek to have a one-world government politically and a one-world one religion religiously, but they're, all going to, they're also going to seek and succeed in uniting the world economically. So our world will have a one-world currency as well. Now, we know, I mean, they're going to try to unify the world. Now, watch this. We know that God loves unity. Among the brethren. But every time in the Bible, when you read about mankind being unified together, they were always unified together against God. You go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 10 and 11, and we read about old Babel. Babel, you remember that? The Tower of Babel, man was as one, but they were at one against God. Every time when mankind in the Bible gets together as one, they're always against, one against God. Psalms chapter 2 talks about the world, the kings of the earth, and the rulers set themselves against God and against His anointed. They're against God. They're unified against God. Well, during the time of the tribulation period, this is going to be a universal mark that's going to be placed upon the people, all the people of the earth. In fact, we read this, Revelation 13 verse 16, He causeth all... Both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. It's going to be a universal mark, and where's it going to be? Boy, hadn't he got us used to that in these days? Has this coronavirus not got us used to being scanned? either on your hand or on your forehead. I went to the hospital, and it's, it's almost an act of Congress to even get in the hospital anymore. But when you go, you have to every morning. It used to be if you were a preacher, they'd just say, just go on through, you can just go on, whatever. But now you have to stop me every morning. You had coughing or you've tasted and smelling. You've been sick. You've been around anybody. You've been dying. I mean, you've got to answer. I said, no, 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 no. I want to get me a sign and just, no. <laughs> just hold it up. But then, they always got to take your temperature. So I went to Forsyth the other morning, and that lady said, all right, let me take your temperature, and she scanned my forehead. Well, I left there because we had somebody over at Medical Park, and I went right across the street, went to the Medical Park Hospital, same question, no, 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 got through. She said, hold out your right hand. I said, right hand? She said, yeah, and she took my temperature. I got in the elevator, I thought, forehead, right hand, we're out of here. It's going to be a universal mark. Everybody's going to have to receive it. Then it's going to be an economical mark. Look at verse 17, Revelation 3, 17. No man, no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now understand this. Parents will not be able to buy milk for their babies gas for their cars, electricity for their home, clothes for their back, medicine for their sicknesses. Farmers can't buy seed for the field nor feed for the livestock. Businesses can't buy parts for their products. If you're in an accident, the paramedic will probably check your right hand or your forehead, and if there's no mark, there'll be no mercy. You've got to have the mark. I'm telling you, it's going to be an economical mark, a universal mark. Listen to this. Just to put it short, no mark no money, no seal, no sale, no brand, no buying. And that's true whether you're trying to close out a million-dollar deal or trying to buy an ice cream cone at Dario. You've got to have the mark. It is a universal mark. It is an economical mark. It's also a numerical mark. Look at this verse. Here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for there's a the number of man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. Now there's all kind of notions. What all that means? Six, six. And we know six is the number of man. Get all that? All kind of notions about what that numerical mark really means. But here's what it boils down to. It may be true that while you're down here on this earth, that you cannot buy or sell without the mark. But it's also true. You can't get into heaven with the mark. That's the reason we read this in Revelation 14, verse 11. The smoke of their torment, don't tell me there ain't no fire in hell. The smoke. Of their torment. Don't tell me people go to hell and party. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up. Don't tell me hell is just for a little while. Forever and can you, right there it is. Right there in that one verse. They have no rest, day or night. Don't sound like they're partying to me who worship the beast, his image, and watch that. You, whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Oh brother, there's going to be a mark. You know, Satan wants to give you a number. God wants to give you a name. Isn't that, a, isn't that amazing? Satan wants to brand us with a number. God said, I want to give you a name. You know, us folks that are married, if you're not married, you don't have, need to have pet names for your, uh, the other person in your life. But every one of us in here have got pet names for, uh, for uh, our, our spouses or our spouses have names for us that's only known. I'll tell you one of mine, Samson. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> nah, she don't call me Samson. No, whatever. She ought to, but she don't. <laughs> Help him. Give him some water, y'all. <laughs> All right, here we go. We got pet names for our spouses, names that only known between us. What about this? God has a name for you. That only he knows. Isn't that amazing? The devil wants to give you a number. God wants to give you a name. And at the end of time, I guess the main question is going to be this. Will your name be called or will your number be up? Mark. And then there's one final M word, all right? Mediator, mercy, mark. What about this last one? Messiah. Now, that word, oddly enough, man, I was taken back by this. Is, is only used two times in the Bible, only twice. And it's in two verses in Daniel, chapter 9, verse 25 and 26, Messiah. But it is the name, one of those other names for the Lord Jesus. And I just preached about it. I just told you, you know, we've been thinking a lot about Calvary. And it talks about in Daniel nine twenty-six the Messiah being cut off, being crucified. But I can I tell you something? That other verse said... We had not seen the last of him because Messiah is going to come back. Amen. It's a Jewish name. It's actually a Hebrew word for the New Testament word Christ. It means the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah. So when you read that word, it is another name for the Lord Jesus. He's going to be cut off, but he's going to be victorious, so says the Bible. Well, there's some great words. Number one is what? mediator. Good word. Number two. That's a good one. Number three. Don't take that mark. Number four. Messiah. Great words in our Bible that begin with the letter M. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.